Hello, Feature Tribe. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking to Jack Murray, who's a Sydney-based entrepreneur. We get into a lot of things in this episode, including building authentic relationships, letting people understand you and buy something and buy from you because of you, not necessarily giving into customer demand and not necessarily just giving customers what they want which is an interesting area to go down because it goes almost against fundamental principles of business that we've all heard and we've all been taught. So it leads to some very interesting conversation, I think, and it leads to some thought-provoking discussions that I hope you enjoy as much as I did. This is the first of a number of episodes we had a very long discussion, Jack and I, so we've broken it down into multiple different episodes as per usual. We're still editing through them all, but I think it'll be about three episodes. So this is part one of three episodes with Jack Murray. That's it from me. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. In this week's episode, we've joined by uh, Jack Murray. How are you today, Jack? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, Jermaine. No worries, mate. So uh, let's get started with where you're talking to me from right now. So right now, to paint the picture for your audience, I'm in Rushcutters Bay. So uh, Sydney, here in Australia, mm-hmm. and it's about a, a cool 22, 21 degrees. Not as hot as it previously was, but, you know, we're, we're enjoying the... This early spring here. So do you live over there? Is that your home yes, that we're seeing? Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, with my lifestyle, I tend to travel wherever I'm most inspired. So uh, last year, I've done a lot of Eastern Europe. I mm-hmm. think that's a very interesting economy right now in the world. Um, I've done a lot of Vietnam and Cambodia as well. I think they're, they're cert- certainly on the rise in comparison to, say, Bali and Thailand. Mm-hmm. So these places I like to explore because... I'm, I consider myself a coach and a consultant and an entrepreneur. However, an investor plays a big part of that. So I go to where people are going, where I think people are going to be going in the future as well. Yeah, no, very cool. I, I, I traveled uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos a few years ago now yeah. to sort of get right. in there before it gets not ruined yeah. per se, but a bit more touristy to get an idea of, you know, what it's a bit, bit like more in a more genuine sense. Um, I, w- I would say like while we were there, they were still developing a lot of it and it, yes. it, for similar reasons as to you, not necessarily to invest directly, but to get an understanding of where things are heading and where, where yeah. people are heading because you know, Southeast Asia, for example, and even certain parts of Europe are sort of the next um, next area of growth for a lot of businesses. Yes, um, that's where right. We've found market penetration hitting near near 100% in places like Australia and the US. Um, you've got to look at India, China, and then, you know, as a secondary, all these other places that we've talked about as well. Um, that's right. Good stuff. Yeah. So you're based out of Sydney. Um Give me, give me an idea of your age. You can give me a direct number or a range. Sure. That's fine. So, so when people ask, I forget because age is not a thing for me. It used to be. Mm. It used to, when I 
used to be. The marketplace used to be Jack, you're too young. Yes. I've actually hit that sweet spot in the marketplace now where, where it doesn't matter so much anymore. Like I'm now on one out. I'm 33, uh-huh. I believe. Uh-huh. I, and, and I genuinely don't count anymore because it used to stop me from actually doing. Yeah, and, oh, completely. Right? Completely. I mean, and, I had my first client when I was 13. So I, yes, and that was, that was something that was a big thing then. Um, and yes. I still remember, you know, early twenties, um, yes. I'm going to be 25 soon. Um, so that I would be already 25 by the time everyone's listening to this episode. Um, but I completely agree. Early twenties, even I remember, you know, meeting clients and clients would say, I'm coming to you because this other agency, you know, the boss took on the job and then passed it on to someone in their early twenties. And, you know, age was much more of a factor. I've just found that we just don't talk about age and, um, I guess that's a good point to start off with, you know, yes. presenting because age at, at the end of the day is a number. Uh, I, I can get the people who say that age uh, equates to experience, but I'm sure you and I both know people who are our own ages who have much less experience or who have much more experience. Um, sure. And I, I, I suspect that that's what you've found now is that age doesn't matter so much. Yes. You're in the sweet spot where, you know, you don't look too young that, or too that's old. Right. That's right. Um, and that's going to change soon. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> if, if the difference is, I, I think, you know, if you're starting out, let's say you're a, a 13-year-old boy, just like you were, that's actually an asset now. The marketplace yeah. looks at that. And admires and, that. And, and so that dynamic has changed from, oh, you're too young to, oh, now you can teach me about technology Yes. Right. From a, you've grown up with this. So your, your point of view is actually completely different. And I agree, you know, I love working with, it's funny because they're not that much younger than me, but 18 year olds, for example, Yes. Yes. 17 year olds who come in, like we had a 16 year old come an intern and they, they come from a different frame of reference to what you and I would come, come from. Um, And growing up my early days in, in Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and sort of the developing world up until about Mm -hmm. 2006, I now realize that I was living sort of how people in Australia did in, you know, in some aspects in the fifties and the sixties. So, you know, growing up, not having say a computer um, Mm -hmm. in every room or a TV in every room um, that's shifting because now, those youngins coming through, they, they they don't know what that limitation is. They don't know what that previous medium is. Um, for them, it's just all fresh, new, and um, going to be different in the future, yes, but in a totally different direction. That's right. And to, 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 to talk about that, when I first started out, I started out as in a transport company. My dad owned a transport company, mm-hmm. and we moved fine arts, pianos, um, you know, anything that was big and heavy, we'd move. So give me and an age here. So, so how old were you when you started? Age bracket, that, that was like for me about 15. Yeah. When I had a, a, some muscle mm-hmm. to actually start lifting some things. As soon as I could start lifting things, I was doing that. And this was in a place called the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. So mm-hmm. it's quite an affluent area. This is where the Nicole Kidmans live, the Russell Crows, the Jimmy Barnes. Now with some of our clients as well. Mm-hmm. Now, what actually happened in that time frame was you could just put a four page ad up in the yellow pages and it was about 20,000 20, at the time mm-hmm. around that. And that was all the marketing you needed. 
That, and you were that done. was it. That's it. You were done. And the yeah. phone would just ring off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's completely changed where the yellow pages just isn't enough. And that, that changed maybe, it's not too long ago, you know, no. for us anyway, it's like five, six, seven, eight years ago. That's when we started seeing that shift. And um, Census, the company of Yellow Pages, mm-hmm. they did move with the trend. So you're absolutely right. They do come from a different frame of reference. And the more I think our generation, us millennials can spend with Gen Z, um, the better because I want to see what they're seeing um, so I can jump on those trends because I'm in a position to now. Um, rather than wait for the trend, I want to see them coming. See the trend coming. And then and then you've also got to remember that, you know, just as much as people say these are the generations that will be our future leaders um, in that sort of negative connotation of, you know, are we raising a bunch of whinges and quitters and so on and so forth, on the flip side, these are our future customers. If yes, that's know, we right. plan to be in business for that long, we do. No one starts planning to be out of business in two, three, sure. or four years. Um, sure. So that, that that's important as well because you you watch what they're doing, you understand what they're doing, and you can then get them when when they're looking for a product exactly like yours. Talk to them how yes. they want to want to sort of listen. Well, let me put some context around that because I think that's a really good point. So if you go into the schools today and you talk to the 12-year-olds, the 12, 13-year-olds, and you ask them what they want to do mm-hmm. versus 20 years ago, right? They may have wanted to become doctors, engineers, or something similar yeah. to that. Today, they want to become influencers. <laughs> they want to be YouTube influencers. Yeah. The words that didn't really exist in the same way that they do now. Um, That's right. Like it just just simply did not exist, and <laughs> yeah. who could have predicted it? I don't think anyone could have predicted it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so going back to your, um, so you you fifteen, sixteen, you start working yeah. at your dad's business. Um, yes. What what's what's the next sort of milestone? Do you so you leave school? Did you go to uni or? Um, so I didn't do uni. I done what I think is a better way, and mm-hmm. I done hard work. Hey. Totally agree with that. So um, did you leave your dad's business or did you take it over or did you then start your own business? What happened next? What I think happened, what I think the the, the wrong way of doing it is, is following a pathway that is mostly pre-written for you. Mm -hmm. So what happened with me is I started in my dad's company, let's call it 15. I was a bit sooner than that, but that's a good age. Um, And then... 18, we wanted to expand our family operations. Mm-hmm. So what we were doing then is we wanted to expand into a few more trucks. So we looked to acquire a new company. Um, at this stage, though, we had remortgaged our family home. So we were mm-hmm. taking on some risk, yes. which was fine. But um, was it calculated risk? Probably not because my dad had me when he was 50. So right. wow. at that time, he was an older fellow, right? Mm-hmm. So let's call it. 65. Mm-hmm. Let, let, sorry, this, he would have been about 66, 67 at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what happened then was we, as soon as we acquired the company, I'm talking about, I'm talking the trucks had just turned up in our, at our depot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad had a stroke pretty much the same day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you'd just taken on this or well, acquired a new company, uh, essentially sold your house. 
as, as far as the banks are concerned. Essentially, that's right. Yeah. Essentially, we we'd sold our house, we refinanced our house, mm. we'd put the company, we'd put the house up as collateral to get the the company. Dad had a stroke, and I'm a 17 year old kid. I didn't mm. think I was a kid at the time, but I was. <laughs> Um, mind you, I was probably more mature at that 17, 18 than I am now. <laughs> you have to be when you've got that much riding yes, on Yes, that's it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, so then it, at 17, 18, for me, that was good responsibility because I wanted that responsibility. Could I handle the responsibility? Time says no mm-hmm. based on how it rolled out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in a space of two years, we've done a lot of jobs and helped a lot of clients. The, the, the great, this is how I got into what I call high-end selling because mm-hmm. at that end of the market in the, in, in the Southern Highlands, let's say if you're in a Sydney removalist back then and you know, inflation's moved but things haven't really changed with pricing. So let's call it a Sydney removalist would charge around $85 per hour. Let's call mm-hmm. it 88 with GST for mm-hmm. two men in a truck. In the Southern Highlands at that time, it was 140 per hour for two men in a truck. Mm-hmm. So almost double. Mm-hmm. It was a much different market. So I learned at a very young age, if you can look after the affluent end of the marketplace and do a really good job, like you just have the money and the profit margins to really look after clients and customers, you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of customers and the, I, I think all problems come from the wrong customers or the wrong clients. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good way to put it. Essentially what you figured out was that you provide the, the, the value that directly correlates with the price you're charging versus charging more to keep, to pocket more money. Um, you're not necessarily doing that, not in the intention of, you know, still paying the same people, the same amount of money and pocketing more yeah. of it. But in charging more and then delivering a better service overall. Absolutely. I think everybody should be aspiring to offer a premium service. Wherever possible. And exactly. No, and it's not about right. supporting only the people who can afford it because realistically you provide enough value to justify what you charge and therefore the value that they reap from it, whether they can sure. afford it or not, whether they're swimming in money or not, you know, for, for those listening, I'm just sort of doing the air quotes um, because these are all relative terms. Um, yes. Ultimately you should be able to provide value and should be confident enough to price things at, at such a rate that yes. they will gain value from it. So you're not screwing anyone over. This episode was made possible thanks to the following supporters. Future Theory, websites, marketing and design that make your goals come true. Proudly based in Canberra, Australia. Visit us online at futuretheory.com.au. Well, if you're any cheaper at that market, they don't want to work with you. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because that's a red flag for them. It's like, why are you so cheap? What are you, what are you, where are you cutting costs? That's right. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And how can you offer the great service? So I want to have such great profit margins that I can go in and do anything I want to, to please a client. Yeah. You want to be able to spend 10 hours where you, you only would book in for two hours with a traditional right. customer. You want to be able to yes. spend 10 hours, whether it is, you know, as a removalist, whether it is, you know, dusting, dusting, whatever you moved over once you've placed it yes. versus That's dumping right. it in the front yard and saying, 
you sort out the rest getting into the house etc spot on and you very found that those those people would much prefer to pay more to get their piano in their house than yes. pay a tenth or even a, a half to yes. get the piano in their front yard and then work out doing the rest themselves. That's right. And, and, and this is when I learned that anybody that would ask for a discount would probably be problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the nature of the buying cycle. And each time you give them that discount, you're basically saying that you, you're, you're, you're making it unfair for the people that paid full price. So I learned at a young age that everyone pays full price. There are no exceptions to the rules. And if you don't want to pay full price, I can't help you as much as I'd like to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's another good point you raise is, and this comes down to pricing, no matter where you set it at, you need to be confident with it, but then yes. not discounting. And if you were to say, someone was to come back and say, listen, Jack, I can't do six grand for it. Can we do four grand? Then you say, yes, but that means out of the three items, we're only going to be able to move two of them. Sure. Versus That's saying, right. yes, we'll do it for that same price because you know, you're setting the wrong precedent and, and where does the business go from there? Just they're going to tell their friends that these guys, you know, they'll take off 30, 35% if you, if yes. you sort of push him and then yes. you just end up yeah, in a hole. Like you, you just can't have a sustainable longer term business. That's right. You, you're basically breaking integrity of every previous client by offering this client a discount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what happens there? So now you're, you're left with, you know, a father who's not doing too well. And yes. did, did he recover from that? Um, dad didn't recover. So he had a stroke. However, he was in a wheelchair. So right. his whole left, the whole left side of his body was paralyzed. And what I mean by that is he literally fell out of the truck. We, imagine the trucks had arrived. We weren't there. We were out on a job. And then we had arrived. And then dad fell out of the truck mm-hmm. and then like he was, he still had his mobility at this stage. But the unfortunate thing is when you're a, let's call it a 16, 17 year old kid and your dad has a stroke. And because at that stage, there is even today, there is not much social awareness around stroke, like mm-hmm. cancer yes. and a heart attack. So you're wondering what's happening. And what happened from there was, um, dad was, was bound to his wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So my family and I were looking after dad and my brothers and I were also running the company. I'm the eldest of uh, three brothers, eldest of four. I've got three younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, now what happened then was we ran the company for, let's call it two and a half years, but I ran the company, but the business was suffering. Does that make sense? And what yes. I mean by that is, I was doing the work, but when it came to all other aspects of the business, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you would have um, things like uh, accounts that were unmanaged. The bookkeeping was unmanaged. Assets and probably I, unmanaged, like right? not properly managed. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So I'm trying to figure this out as I go, but at this stage, I, we didn't have enough money to pay off the remortgaged home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then the creditors came in and took the home. Wow. So, so like, you guys lost oh, your home, lost the home at mm-hmm. this stage. And it's like, wow, this is, this is real stuff. What happened after that stage is when, okay. And we had to, I had to sell the company 
you could say about 25% of what we bought it for. Not even that. So, yeah. so you, you're selling now the second company that you purchased or the whole company That's as a whole? Right. No, it's the whole company, the, the company as a whole with the, okay, the trucks with the all, new company, about twenty five percent. So I'm not mm. even counting all the goodwill we created in the first company. Mm-hmm. I'm just literally going all together. Yeah, written down to a quarter of what you. That's made. right. Wow. And this was the best lesson for me because, for me, all of my best lessons have come through emotional trauma, some pain. Mm. Um, this is how I learn. So, um. Like you said, your audience are naturally optimistic. Great. I'm naturally optimistic. So, but I had to learn to be optimistic while pessimistic. There's a balance between the two. And all great business people understand that if you're going to look at the upside, you need to look at the downside as well. And this was unfortunately what my dad didn't do as well. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't do as well at the time, but it learned, I learned during this period to look, okay, these are the, this is the upside, but if that goes wrong, I want to minimize downside. So now everything in my life is how can I maximize upside and minimize downside by making sure I get out of investment opportunities before they turn into, they, they turn into the turmoil that I experienced at 18. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, to put this sort of into a mathematical sort of sense, for example, is to, not take a half a million dollar gamble to make a million dollars necessarily because that de- if you can't cop that downside and you don't have, let's say 700 K in the bank, um, yes. because some would say, Hey, if you can take a million dollar, half a million dollar loan and you know, you're going to, or well, you know, again, within, uh, within air quotes that you're going to make a million bucks, then it seems like a mathematical equation. But you're, what you're saying is, and I agree with it wholeheartedly is that that's still a liability that, you could otherwise go without. Yes, there's a potential to make a million dollars off a half million dollar liability, but that's not a guarantee. And it's about reducing that because I, I don't know about you, but I would definitely rather take a hundred mil loss, sorry, $100,000 risk to make say 200,000. So overall, sure. yeah, yeah, you're doubling your return, but your risk, you're just being careful and manageable with your risk because at the end of the day, half a million dollars is much harder to bear than say hundred thousand um, dollars. You know that 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 is um, that depends on the game you're playing. Mm. So you know, based on where your thermostat's at, because I'm ha- I'm happy to risk a million, two million, three million, but I want to risk my own money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So you're not taking on, you're not selling a house. You're not, yeah. you're not, you know, taking money from your parents or from, yeah. from your partner. That's right. Absolutely. If it's my money, I'll risk it. And now the, the, what I mean by this is just to create some context around it. Too many entrepreneurs borrow money. Yeah. You, before you they even get not, started in some cases. That's right. You do not borrow money to make money. It does not work. No. Not when you're starting off, not when you have nothing, yes. no, no, yes. no asset, whether it's a business or whatever it is to that's right. justify that. That, that is, that's absolutely right. So, yeah. so my lesson of taking out of taking this, taking out of this moment was, okay, if I want to, if I want to make money, I need to be good at selling. So now mm-hmm. if the, the marketplace are my finances, the banks are not my finances, the marketplace is. Mm-hmm. So I will build a company from scratch and make sales from day one. And mm-hmm. that's what I recommend everyone do. 
How do you make sales from day one so you can build on success rather than saying, oh, we're going to make money one day. I'm going to borrow 100K from the bank and I'm, I hope this is going to work. That's a failed strategy from the beginning. Does it work for some? Sure, but it doesn't work for me. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Well, exactly. I mean, you're talking about it's, it's that whole sort of venture debt is a big thing where you take money from other people. Um, yes, in this case, you're talking still different because you're taking money from people who arguably have that money to lose. But instead of doing that, because your liability is still, there's still a liability there or taking money from the bank. Um, what you're talking about is you need to generate revenue, go out there and sell to generate yes. that revenue. If that's, if that's right. what you need, um, you know, make a minimal viable product happen with, with yes. whatever you have and then yes. sell that, whether it's, yes. the, you know, it's, it's not, it's not super easy to do so, but selling sure. people on, you know, what your product will be in three months if they buy the package now, it's not impossible. It's, it's, and it's at the end of the day, a much better logical s- sort of process yes. than yes. say taking out a hundred thousand dollar loan to build out an app um, that you then build for three months and spend all that money on. And when you go to sell someone on it, um, you know, in remembering the alternative here is to sell someone on future potential and you go to market three months later and find out that there's no interest in the market for it. And most people think they're an exception to that rule. They're not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they think they're, they're, they're I was going to say Uber, but I would say more like a Google yeah. or a Facebook because Uber is not super profitable and not the best better, not the best well, example, but. Well, you're absolutely right. You, you take a look at Uber, WeWorks, the, the, the next, exa- <laughs> next current example. And you're absolutely right. They, the thing is they're lazy and they're, they, they, they find their, they think their ID means something. It doesn't like no one cares about your cool ID. I know you're inspired about it, but no one really cares Yeah. until you execute on it. And all of this money you're actually bringing in is actually lazy money. And you're going to, the thing is, if you're going to bring in investors, they're going to want to have a say. So you're actually better off making sales as you go with a minimum viable product. Now you mentioned it's difficult. I I would say I'd agree with you and say, Hey, and that's where they need, let's say an incubator. That's Mm -hmm. where they need a mentor or a strategy behind them. I'm not saying do it on your own. I'm saying get the right team behind you, but don't give away so much of your business or get into so much debt that you lose control or you're under a lot of pressure to make it a success in the near future because everything takes longer than you assume. Mm-hmm. So if you think something's going to happen in three, you put, make sure you put another nine months on that. Cause that's just reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it's the truth. It's just how it is. Yeah. You double or triple how long you think it will take because yes. then what, guess what? Worst case scenario, you've come in at a third of the time that you thought it would yes. best case right. scenario. You've come in on time. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Completely. I think, I think it's something that a lot of people like they hear the big numbers that Uber and WeWork and all these sort of companies put out there and they think, Oh, that's beautiful. That's something that I can get into. Um, Uh but you make a very good point of, you know, that that's just, that's just lazy money. That's just throwing money at a problem. It's not necessarily solving a problem, letting the market speak because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, who's going to succeed. It's, it's going to be the people that generate enough revenue Generate sure. and, and what's what's revenue or what's any sort of 
transaction got to got to do with it's got to do with value you know that money is a money versus service that's just an ex, ex, exchange of the yeah. same thing in two mm-hmm. different shapes and forms mm-hmm. um at sure. the end of the day it's value it's a value exchange and yes. you know if you think about nike for example I, I don't think anyone would have just thrown a whole bunch of money at nike and gone let's just hope this sticks they've grown much more organically um i'm, I'm trying to think of um business that i use so i'm sri lankan and we go to sri lanka every sort of two three years um we were there in december and they've got an uber competitor um completely grown you know homegrown uh completely profitable and guess what they're 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 nowhere near as old as uber is um and you, you sort of look at that and you gotta you gotta think these guys much smarter. They made they're, they're cheaper than Uber as well for the driver to use. They're cheaper yes. than Uber for the rider to yes. use. Um, and and you know they've got a business model that's working. Um, yeah, wow. And it's all about just value transaction, keeping things, keeping costs low. You know, yes. um, no, you know, obviously wages in Sri Lanka are relatively um, less, and that that makes it easier. But yes. but then locally everything's relative anyway. So what yes. they're making, they're not making anywhere yes. near the profit margin or anywhere yes. near the dollar cost. Like it was cheaper for us to get an Uber everywhere. Sorry, get a mm-hmm. what was it? I can't remember the name of the service, and I'm kicking myself at the moment. But it I was know cheaper there's to get Grab in in a lot of East um, in right. the Philippines. Yeah, it's, um, um, they've got a similar setup. Th- th- yeah, it'd be a similar story. I'm trying to find the name. Bear with me. I'm actually up got to find this because otherwise it's just going to kill me um it's this sri lankan rideshare what's it coming up with oh man why am i struggling oh pick me there we go that's what it's called right or pick me um yeah tax like they they again they went to market in a way that uber felt like they had to but these guys made it work they found the right avenues and it's just about being smart when you're going to market isn't it it's just yeah uh, I always sort of kick myself when when I hear about these huge valuations and um, SoftBank and all these big investment groups sure. just make it worse. But going back to your story, um, so yeah, so this business fails. You guys sell it. What happens next? What's your next? What's your next sort of step? So, so my next move after this is to grow as a person. This mm-hmm. is when I fell into you could call it the personal development sphere. I knew that I needed to understand business at a much deeper level if I was going to be a success at it. So I wasn't willing to leave it up to chance at this stage. You could almost say that my ego had taken such a beating, my ego had opened up. So I was ready for for the lessons to, to grow to the next level. Now, what happened at this stage is I started, the first mentor I really had was, like many, was Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. So, um, back in these days, I was still his infomercials. Yeah. Right? This and Tony Robbins before. was like the number one place to go to. Not that yes, he isn't that, now, but he, he, was, he was the person. Now, nowadays, you can find a few other business influencers, but yeah, Tony yes. Robbins. So, give me sort of what, where, where are we now in terms of years? Are we thought late 90s now or? Yeah, um, here in years, we're actually in 2006. So, okay, yep. 2000, yeah, 2006. Because I went to my first Tony Robbins um, a seminar because 
Tony Robbins has his audio products. I remember I, I, the first thing I signed up for was the, his Get the Edge program, a seven-day mm-hmm. audio program that would transform your life. Mm-hmm. That was his pitch and it worked. Um, and, you know, I would have listened to those CDs a hundred times over CDs that 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 puts us in that and then what had happened is he was coming to Sydney Australia um and he was playing at playing it's pretty much like (laughs) that um when you attended a Tony event he was um speaking uh, for three days he's unleashed the power within program at the Sydney Entertainment Center Mm -hmm. um and I wasn't going at that stage I didn't have the capacity to invest $1,500 into a course. So it costs too much, basically. That's right. Yeah. Rel- relatively to what I had, $1,500 was a lot of money. Mm. Um, so what happened at that stage was I had um, the, the people that actually bought my company were going to Tony Robbins. This is the, uh, this is the moving business. The furniture company. That's yes. right. Mm-hmm. And we were really good friends because we all collaborated and worked together. Um, and we had like this, and we still do, we have like this soul connection, right? Where mm. they know me, I know them, and things just work that way. Um, so what happened then is they said, Jack, we're going to, to Tony Robbins. And they're, like, um, and they're like, are you coming? And I'm like, well, I want to. And they're like, well, are you coming or not? And I'm like, well... No, I want to, but no. Um, so they're like, okay, we're going to sponsor you to come to Tony Robbins. Um, let's go. And that was one of the best gifts I've had today, uh-huh. truly. Uh-huh. Um, and I went to that Tony Robbins event and it wasn't, Tony was incredible, but there was another guy by, by the name of Joseph McClendon, the third. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks on one of the days that Tony doesn't speak of on of the three, right? And um, my friend that was sitting next to me, Lisa, she sort of nudged me and said, oh, can you picture yourself doing that? I can. And that was the trigger for, for someone else to have confidence within me in that moment. That was the trigger for me to say, maybe. That's mm-hmm. all it took mm-hmm. was that maybe. And, and like you said, this was before the... Well, well, well before the influencer trend. Even co- life coaches weren't a big thing then. Like it was Tony Robbins. He was a life coach. Just go to him. That was Don't it, yeah. Life, life coach, business coach, the works. Yeah. That's him. Get his CDs. Yeah. Go to his live events. Yes. Nothing, you know. I mean, Facebook would have... Oh, was Facebook even a thing back then? Probably not. I, don't, I, um, it, I think it was just a thing, right? right. It was just, just a thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it was yes. still this, you know, little hack together um, yes. the Facebook, um, I'm yeah, sure is that's right. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was the, that was the experience. So it, that's when my journey really started. Mm-hmm. It took somebody else to see that. And that's why my clients pay me now. So they invest in me to see something in them that they don't quite see in themselves yet. And that's when you can create that emotional connection with your clients they will want to work with you for long periods of time because anyone can teach copy and paste tactics and strategies. I've done it for years. It's yeah. not difficult. Yeah. However, if you can see potential in somebody, genuine potential, like you actually believe in them, like if you, and you can see where they're going to be in 2023, 2024, 2025, because you hold such a clear conviction of their talent and their, 
their commitment, mm -hmm. they want to invest in you. And, and Lisa had that for me in that moment. And it's all it took for me to go, yep, I see something there. Um, and I grew from that moment. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app.